Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches of Husky Podcast. My name is Trevor Mueller. With me is Jake Grant and UW Leah. And we're here to talk about the Michigan State road trip, Washington, headed to East Lansing. They're going to play on something called Peacock at 2 p.m. You better find somebody that has a streaming service for that likes The Office or Parks and Rec, I guess, because that's the only people that have Peacock, I, I would assume. Michigan State, they're 2-0, Central Michigan and Richmond. One of the things, Central Michigan, they were only up 10 to 7 at half. First initial thoughts, Jake, on the matchup with Michigan State. Yeah, I we come in as 16-point favorites for yeah. a reason. I think Washington's a lot better than they are. Um, offensively, I think we're better. Defensively, I think we're better. Even though I don't think our defense has played great all that year, at least they've been proven-ish versus some actual competition um boise state has a decent offense versus what michigan state's played this year and our defense looked a heck of a lot better than what michigan state's defense has against lesser opponents um overall i feel i feel really i don't know i mean i feel pretty good going into this game i feel better than i think i probably should um i i don't think we're gonna leave any any points on the board leah i hope you're right i I was pretty disappointed having gone to the game last Saturday with how I felt like the fire just wasn't there when you compare it to what we saw against Boise State. So um, given what Kaylin said in the presser after the game, that there was a lot of meat left on the bone to Trevor's point in the last podcast, I do believe the Huskies are going to be like, listen, we know we did not play our best football in Montlake last week. And what better time to show who we are as a football team than our first big test of the season. I mean, yes, Boise was a huge test, but going on the road, playing in a hostile environment in East Lansing will be a good test for these kids. And I think hopefully they play well, um, but I just am not as confident as Jake in this moment. Look, like last year, two games were left on the board, right? As far as we left a lot left on the table um, as far as desire and, and the ability to play hard and and we lost out on some major bowl game implications maybe a maybe a playoff berth because of that these kids don't forget that and they're going to and and Kalen DeBoer is going to make sure that they remember that going into this game that you will not leave anything on the table you will play your hardest and you will play your best and you will go out there and you will beat the shit out of these guys and to your point Jake it's it's the coaching staff is really good at making adjustments the week prior, the glaring concern coming out of Boise state was receiver blocking. And guess what was really good on Saturday. And it was receivers blocking all the way downfield. Therefore, I think, especially with a game of this magnitude, a kind of a dress rehearsal for being in the new conference next year, going on the road, a lot of things on the line. And honestly, looking at the schedule around the nation, if it wasn't on Peacock, it would probably get a lot of viewers because there's really not a lot of very good games. So I think for that, uh, I think they're going to come out and really adjust to what they struggled with last week. Yeah, I like what you said about adjustments, both of you, because the coaching staff has been really excellent in the last year and changed with making adjustments game over game, except for when the Huskies are just so doggedly injured that they just didn't have a chance against Arizona State and Tempe. Still should have won that game. But all to say, I do expect them to say, okay, a lot of things are being said and written about us with our defense. This is our chance to really go out and show them what we're capable of doing. And also it's a chance for 
Jalen and Rome to have really good games following up probably their worst receiving games as um, Huskies. What the thing I think that Washington needs to worry about the most is the, with the Mel Tucker drama and what's going on with them and and what's going on with Michigan State. We watched this happen a couple of years ago, and a coach that comes in and and rallies the team behind him is a scary place. And especially when it's in Michigan State, when it's in Lansing, um, this team might really rally around the 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 incoming coach, the incumbent coach. Um, and, and that makes for a scary team. Uh, hopefully, I don't know. I mean, it's going to go either way, right? They're either going to rally around them or they're going to fall flat on their faces. I think, uh, I think they're probably going to actually play harder now than they would have with Mel Tucker going into this game. I'm not going to lie. I've thought about this a lot over the last few days of how competitively this is going to impact this Washington game and thinking about the Mel Tucker era at Michigan state so far, I've really come to actually be more convinced that this is going to be a game where Washington's going to really take care of business. And it's because of the way that, you know, this whole story has come out about Mel Tucker at best, uh, just a huge lapse in judgment. That's going to probably cost him upwards of $70 million. And the judgment the way that they played last year, the way that they've started the season this year, it really seems like a circus from the outside looking in. Um, And when you're in a circus atmosphere like that, when it's chaotic, we know this all too well from 2021, things are undisciplined and things fall apart really quick. So I think for that reason, uh, the stability hasn't been there and now it's gone even farther. And it's left, it's left to, they're having to call Mike D'Antonio to come back to try to help write the ship in an advisory role. That is a major red flag for, for the program. So because of that, he's let his personal life leak into his professional life where he's compensated a lot of money to think first and foremost about those athletes and that program the most. And that's something he's failed to do even leading up to this point. So if he's not giving it his all there where the discipline is not there, where they've not played up to what they should be, where they were looking at, you know, that first year when he had some really good transfers and the D'Antonio holdovers, they were looking like they could really compete for the upper echelon of the big 10. And now just a couple of years removed from that, they're middling with Maryland. And I think for that reason, I just don't see how in a week where this culture has been set up that's just not winning football is going to be able to turn a 180 and become a, a, a program that's going to be able to be with a team with an offense like Washington. Go ahead, Leah. Yeah, I'm just going to build off of what you just said about like kind of reeling off of what the coaches had done and the impact of what it does to focus on the football team. Anybody remember the the game after the slap and Jimmy Lake was essentially put on administrative leave? Wasn't that against Arizona State? Didn't turn out well. We played well for a long time, ended up losing in the fourth quarter, but we were poorly coached for 18 months. So it I think it could go kind of the same way where Michigan State, Sparty hangs in for a quarter or so. And then Washington pulls away definitely after the second half. 
What do you guys think? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I had mentioned earlier about, you know, an incoming coach, somebody bringing in and, and, and rallying the troops. And, and there's something to be said for that. But while Michigan State is going through this with Mel Tucker and, and players' minds are elsewhere, Washington mm-hmm. is playing Tulsa. And, uh, and, and they're preparing for Michigan State. And they're they're honing in on the things that they need to fix without the outside noise. Yeah, they're being asked about Michigan State, but there's nothing in house that they have to worry about other than beating them. No. Um, and and that goes a far way as far as a college college athlete goes. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot to put on a table, as far as going to school, prepping for a game, and having your coach on the verge of getting fired. Um, so yeah, I think that there's probably too much for Michigan state to handle this week. And you have to factor in the fact that, you know, even if he's not necessarily the best coach in the world, running the tightest ship or, or really doing a good job, the roles are, are shifting underneath these kids feet underneath the coach's feet where guys are having to take on more responsibility and having to turn it around in six days and play a game. Uh, And that's where I think there's a lot of issues that's going to come up with Michigan state. The other point I had was if Michigan state was playing a team that matched up better with them, I could see maybe a little bit more of that rally in them. But the reality is, is Washington matches up terribly with Michigan state. And (laughs) it's because Washington has an amazing offensive attack through the air and they're really bad in the secondary and yeah, I think that maybe if Washington state were going to Sparty, they might have a better shot at this Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. Teams that run the ball really well. They have Michigan state and I'm kind of getting into the defense, but Michigan state has a pretty good defensive line. They have pretty good linebackers. They're really bad in the secondary. And fortunately for Washington, that's what mm-hmm. they exploit the most. So I don't see, a game where Sparty comes out, they could come out enthusiastic, really ready to go. But the real, the reality of the situation is Washington should be able to out scheme out maneuver and out athlete them on the outside. Yeah. It's kind of like what Ulufusio said prior to the game against Boise state man on man. We're better than them. And that goes for Michigan state too. And that's going to go for a lot of games this year. Most of them. Uh, yeah, um, you you line up Washington against Michigan State, and we're better at them at most positions. Totally agree. Yep, especially wide receivers, like you guys said, and that's their weakest position defensively is the secondary. Um, those guys are going to eat. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, um, we'll get to we'll get to some other wrinkles about this game where it comes to some predictions, but uh, I assume Michael Penix is going to have a pretty good game. I would hope so. As long as his receivers don't let him down and drop passes, I would I would imagine that he'd have another four hundred plus yard game. One hundred percent. I can almost guarantee that will not. Happen. I don't think I don't think these receivers can drop enough balls for him not to have a. <laughs> Facts. Going to be that, coming and coming, coming, coming. He had like five cold drops last week, and he's got a hundred yard, four hundred yards. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was just nothing. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag Heisman. Hashtag Mike for Heisman. Hey, uh, Jake, what do you got on the offense? Hey, this offense is super consistent, though. You know, two games played. They, the quarterback has been extremely consistent. Noah Kim, 
18 completions in both games within five yards of his average in both games in the air. Uh, he's only been sacked once all year. He's got no interceptions uh, and he's got five touchdowns thrown. So, I mean, he's been a model of consistency for this Michigan state offense. In, in, in fact, the whole offense has been extremely consistent all year. Um, obviously we're playing against, you know, they're playing against lesser talent, but um you know, they, he, he's just been a, a rock for that offense. Um, running back, Nathan Carter, he's he's their breadwinner. He's their workhorse. He's their bell cow. He's also been super consistent. Uh, 111 yards versus Richmond, 113 against Central Michigan, four touchdowns in, in, on the ground in two games. Um, I mean, it, it's just they have the ability to score with Washington. It's hard to judge how good they really are offensively because of who they've played. But uh, I, I would imagine that they'd be able to keep up with Washington's offense for a quarter, maybe a half. Um, but Washington's defense is going to be able to make the couple of stops that they need to control this game while my, Michael Penix is cooking on offense. How's their offensive line? I know that like we haven't seen a lot of sacks from Braylon and ZTF. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Well, they've only given up one sack, and uh, they're rushing the heck out of the ball. So I would imagine that that offensive line is big and stout. And they they obviously focus a lot more towards rushing the ball. Um, mm -hmm. They want to run the ball, and they're pretty dang good at it. Okay. Um, they have one turnover all season on offense, and and they keep their quarterback upright. One sack in two games, It's their offensive line is stout. They're good. Yeah, they have three returners and they got uh, two transfer, uh, two other guys that it's kind of like our offensive line where the guys that have come in have the uh, only, experience already playing. The only thing about their offense is they kind of like when when Jimmy Lake in the end of the Chris Peterson era, they have three wide receivers that they kind of go to. They kind of all around, but they don't have that guy. Right. They don't have a Roma Dunze or a Jalen McMillan. They have Monterey Foster, uh, Jaron Mosley, and Trey Glover are their top three receivers, and they're all pretty good. But they don't have a Jeremy Bernard anymore. You know, he's the fourth at Washington. <laughs> he would have been the one at Michigan State this year. No he's doubt. Never, they they they've had two different leading receivers in two different games, and and none of which has nobody's reached a hundred yards receiving yet. So. Okay. They haven't really had but, to either with their opponents. Like they no, they've got the lead and they've been able to kind of like lean on their running game. Yeah, and in in both games they've had upwards of six, seven, eight guys catching balls in both yeah. games. So okay. I mean they're they're spreading it around. But do their tight ends catch and do their uh do their running backs also catch the ball? Their, their tight ends don't catch a lot, their running backs don't catch a lot either. It's a big okay. ten offense, it's, dude. Yeah, it's it's, it's mostly 10. it's mostly their three receivers that they throw to. Um, and they, they focus on running the ball a lot. All right. Uh, who do you see is going to be our kind of biggest challenge to the wide receiving room for our cornerbacks? Until Jake gets back, uh, Trey Mosley, he's their number one. Um, he'd be the guy that is going to be able to try to do a little bit of damage. But, you know, putting Jabbar Mohamed on, I think, is going to force them to go to their other guys. Uh the name okay. that I like the most in there is uh, Antonio Gates Jr. of Antonio Gates Sr., the Hall of Famer, future Hall of Fame tight end. Uh, Jake, you cut out. She asked about okay. 
who in the in the receiving core makes you nervous? The answer could also be nobody. It's it's kind of nobody, yeah. but uh, probably probably Trey Glover. He's been top two in receptions. I <laughs> you believe, just combined so. their two names. <laughs> Trey, Trey Glover. It's Trey Mosley. Oh, Trey Mosley. Sorry, <laughs> and is Jaron it, Glover. Glover <laughs> Bagley. Uh, okay, so if, my if awesome reading skills. If we get a if we get a turnover on Saturday, is it going to be um, their running backs fumbling, or are we going to no. pick a pass off? It's, we're gonna we're gonna pick off. We're gonna pick off what uh, Kim. Okay. I, I I don't think he's had much to throw against. Um, he hasn't faced the corners like he's he's gonna face uh, Jabbar Muhammad's gonna be draped all over uh, Jaron Mosley. Who's the number two behind Jabbar Muhammad for our cornerbacks? And that's a defensive question, so I guess that goes to Trevor. Yeah, I haven't heard. They haven't really said much. I haven't. Have you guys seen a depth chart yet? I don't think they released one because Michigan State didn't release one. Oh, okay, so we don't know the status of Devon Banks. Um, it'll probably be either Elijah Jackson or Thaddeus Dixon um, alongside, and we also don't know about Asa Turner then either. And no. So it would probably be Cam Fab if that's the case. But Aces is a hand injury. If if he gets the club, he's gonna be out there. It's not like well, I mean, he does he does pick off quite a few passes, but you know, they really well, need him to I'm not one to like do all math on you, Mr. Math Teacher, but last time I checked, Cam Fab has two interceptions and we've played two football games. No, totally. And so what, what he's a batting a thousand. Love that. Oh, love that you bring baseball into this too. I know you're welcome. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, no, I <laughs> Cam Fab's played great, right? And it's been really cool because we've watched him. It seems like defensive players, especially when they're young, they get in and they make a blaring mistake, right? Like I'll never forget Keith Taylor's first snaps against Rutgers when he fell down and screwed up the uh, yeah. uh, got the touchdown thrown on him, and you know he ended up going to the NFL. So. Watching guy and Cam Fab's one of those guys where, as when he was younger, it seemed like he was chasing plays, and so it's really cool to see him making plays and being mm-hmm. somebody who they can really rely on, and somebody, frankly, who next year he'll be one of the cornerstones of that secondary. So all the everything that he can do to continue to get reps is great, and if he's tackling at a similar rate to Asa Turner, then it becomes a full blown competition. Mm-hmm. Anything else on the offense, Jake? I think all you have to do is keep them under 40. I think that'll be very easy, to be honest. It's uh, as long as they tackle the running backs, uh, they're going to be okay. And I love our defensive line. So it's kind of how I feel about it. Um, did you get the uh, Did you get the Jacob Bandis tattoo lined yet? Is I got it stenciled. It's stenciled. Okay. okay. It's... I think Jake is, I mean, sorry, Trevor's too busy uh, preparing for his UCLA tattoo, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> That's his chest piece. If you had Leah dunks on Trevor for loving UCLA on your bingo pool, you win. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to have, he's across his chest, it's going to be UCLA with Oregon duck wings going across oh his my shoulders. God. It's gonna be, How it's dare so you, sir? How dare Trevor, you? You're the worst. Uh. God, how did I hit Oregon in there? I married a duck. You married an Oregon duck. I know, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yep, 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 yep. 
Yikes. Their defense last year gave up 27 and a half points a game. That's 74th in the nation. One of the things that I've really liked lately is looking at points per play and they gave up 0.38 points per play. Washington was a tenth, a hundredth of a point worse. They were 0.39 points a play. They gave up 417 yards a game to UW's 373. Looking at some of the stuff for preseason awards, they only had one player on the defense, one player in general on either the first or second team Big Ten. And that's Cal Halliday. He's a all-conference linebacker who led the conference in tackles last year. So that's one guy to look out for. They they get a couple of guys back that were veteran players that were injured last year early. So the linebacking core could actually be pretty good. The defensive line's another one of those that had some injuries to some guys who had played on those really successful teams and now are back and healthy, plus the guys that you know got to play last year. So they're pretty deep in their front seven. It's all about their defensive backfield. Um, they were cooked last year. They lost some guys, and they didn't retool in a way that you would see most, and I'm going to say it like serious programs do when they're in a bad spot where they would use the transfer portal to upgrade those positions, like Washington did going out and getting Jabbar Muhammad, they didn't do mm-hmm. that. They kind of, it went unaddressed. So you have younger guys who are moving up and maturing in the system, which would be fine if you were a healthy system, but they're not. So I think that Michael Penix all the way down the line to Denzel Boston, all four of the tight ends should be really licking their chops to get into this defense and really just wreak havoc in the intermediate to long, uh, uh, deep routes. So it's going to be all about throwing the ball through the air. That's kind of how I feel about this game. Don't abandon the run, but their defensive line is good. And their linebackers should be pretty good. So hit them on the outside and hit them with your arm. I think that's the way that Washington's going to go about winning this game. It kind of resembles that old West Coast football, right? Where mm. you can... Washington can use that short intermediate yep. passing game as kind of a run. Um, I don't think yeah, I turn the corners game. into linebackers where they got to make plays around the line of scrimmage. Thank you. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, as much as, I mean, we just talked about this against week one. I was complaining <laughs> about Ryan Crowell with those, with those quick passes out to Jalen McMillan getting blown up. If you can make those plays work for you and get the ball in the receiver's hands quickly mm-hmm. and make those guys miss, I think that you have the ability to – I don't think that you're inept to run the ball uh, the classic way against Michigan State. I think you have to get creative. And I, getting the ball in the air quick to your receivers is the is the way to do it. And I think that those guys are better in the open field anyways. What do you think of – um? Our offensive line versus their defensive line. Pass protection wise, they're going to be just fine. I mean, it's a good defensive line, but our offensive line is a strength of our team. So I'm really not worried about it in that sense. If we were forced to run the ball, which we, again, like Jake just talked about, Ryan Grubb can scheme around that. Mm -hmm. I think that you're going to see them try to get the ball out early to start the game and really try to loosen them up. But this offensive line is until we get to teams, quality teams in the big 10 or the sec, there's no defensive line. That's really going to scare me, especially in pass protection with this group. Is that too confident? 
it's it's a little confident. It's, it's more confident than I'm, I'm used to hearing uh, from, from you, Trevor. But you are a Duke, so I guess I'm not I'm not surprised. <laughs> In terms of what we're going to see on the field at Michigan State, I know there's some stuff on the paper this week that's talking about a potential for slick field. Um, I don't know what Michigan State is doing, if they're doing this intentionally or if it's just their grass prep, but Washington historically has not played well on natural grass. We can see that from Stanford. I know you and Trevor have gone to Stanford. Huskies usually play very poorly there. Also, the Rose Bowl don't play well there either. So our record in the, on the grass is not good. They might have slickened it. What do you think is going to be the effect for our receivers, if any at all? And how do you game plan for that? Yeah. Uh, history shows in football that grass kills speed. Um, Michigan state would be extremely smart to slick in the field with, how fast our wide receivers are, especially Jalen McMillan. I think straight line speed, Jalen McMillan is a top three guy in the nation. Once he gets going, there's nobody that's going to catch him. When it's, that's almost crossing a boundary, right? How your your moral compass, what does it say is too far? Um, Michigan State's probably, their moral compass probably is saying that slickening the field is probably fine. I don't know if I would go to those lengths, I would probably, and when we say slickening the field, I mean, we, we mean watered down, right? It's a little bit extra water, uh, makes the grass slippery and it makes those cleats a little bit, you know, you got to go in and get longer cleats and which slows you down naturally. And any little bit in sports is going to help you. We hear it all the time. It's a game of inches. And if you can slow those guys down, you know, from a four three speed to a four 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 five speed, it's going to help you, and you're going to make those tackles that you weren't making previously. What does your moral compass say about slicking a field for faster faster teams than yours? If I'm going to win, I want to win um, because I played better because I'm the better team. I don't yeah. want. I mean, like if if it's raining and I can't control things, then fine. But I'm not going to be artificially making the grass any certain way to gain advantage when I know that I'm an inferior football team. That's yeah. just my moral compass. Because if I, if I play better and I deserve to win, then bully for me, but I don't think there's really a lot of honor in winning in that way. If they do. Yeah. I, unfortunately everybody's moral compass isn't the same, right? I <laughs> yes, can't look I at you and say that I have the same moral compass that you do where, I mean, I, it's no secret that I race cars for years and every single one of us is a cheater. We all bend rules to make us faster than the next guy. Right. So how can I sit here and judge Michigan state for something that they want to do to give them a competitive edge when I've done it myself, but I do agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I want to see two teams go out there evenly matched on an even playing surface and see who the better team is. But I just don't think college football is that. It's it's a money revenue, and if Michigan State can win somehow, they're going to. Yeah, I mean, well, Mel and we're Tucker's not. They're not winning any. Of. They're not willing win, uh, winning any moral awards this week anyway. So, right. yeah. well, the reality so is Mel Tucker until this week has been secured in his job where he's going to be there for a decade, right? But the yeah. other coaching coaches on that coaching staff have to produce or they're going to be the ones that are going to be scapegoated and fired. So the old Jim Lambright situation. Yes, exactly. So 
if any competitive advantage to keep your family getting those six, seven figure checks. It's kind of like, you know, baseball fields. If, if you keep the grass a little bit longer, the ball dies in the infield and um, you're going to be able to make a play on that. Uh, You know, that really hurts teams that are quicker. So it sucks. It, I don't know if, if it's a field condition situation, they're not going to stop the game, but um, Mm -hmm. honestly, our receivers are way better than their cornerbacks. So it's not really going to matter. We're just going to score slower. Part of me hopes they do it. They do it because I want to be able to say you tried and you still lost. I tell you what, yeah, if, it, if one of those players gets hurt though, because they're yes. complete sticking yeah. ground and they mm-hmm. they blow a knee, if I'm representing that player, there is a lot of suing going to be happening. And also, I mean, Michigan State, yeah, that can slow your receivers down, but also I think Ryan Grubb's intelligent enough to get cor- Michigan State's corners on their heels and make them cut. And the, the wet grass is going to affect them just as equally as it's going to affect our receivers. At least our receivers know where they're going. Um, when the cornerbacks have to suddenly make a cut to an out route that they weren't planning for because they're back on their heels, they're going to be the ones slipping and sliding. And then they're going to end up getting torched because Jalen McMillan is going to catch an out route with his feet still under him. And then he's going to burst up field and he's going to be gone. So I mean, is it is it really that big of a positive to wet down the field? Or like Trevor said, are you really just enticing the idea of getting other people injured and injuring your own team? I don't know if it's worth it. I think I, I agree with you. I think it's a shame that it has to come to that. But to your point, like everybody does it. Maybe nobody better than the Houston Astros, but everybody does it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is just their version of banging on trash cans, isn't it? <laughs> <It's so true. laughs> So, uh, Jake, what do you got for a prediction of this game? I wasn't prepared for that yet. I'm sorry. Leah? Um, I think, going back to what I said earlier, the first half is close. The first half, I think the Huskies take a, a under a touchdown lead into the half, into the locker room. But I think the adjustments of a very solid, mature, and stable coaching staff in the locker room break things open in the third quarter for the dogs and we win 38 21 barely covering the spread but getting out of east lansing alive and without scandal i made mention earlier that if we held them under 40 it would uh that would be the game right Uh, i'm gonna stick with that i don't have us covering um it's not by much i i'm not that worried about them i just think that they can score on us i don't think that they're Defense Uh-oh. is going to stop us, though. Uh, I have Washington winning 42-28, so winning by 14. Oh. Awesome. All right, Doug. Um, here we go, Doug. Yeah, here we go. It's 45-17. That's going to be the score. 45-17? Yeah. I like my Trevor oh. confident. Yeah. I would say that. Um, I, I don't know I, if I've, I've mastered ever, in confidence. I've known, I've known Trevor a long time. I don't know if I've ever seen this. <laughs> oh, my stars. Oh, Mr. Mueller. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I he's really. Giving little, uh, he's giving me a little turned. <laughs> I, I don't have like. I, I just. I don't know. We've been doing this podcast under two coaching staffs that just made me really nervous. That, you know, it, whether it was the defensive style of the Chris Peterson, where Washington rarely blew teams out, to Jimmy Lake's ineptitude, 
I just became the shell of myself of, you know, watching going back into Steve Sarkeesian where they beat Stanford one week and then drop an egg and can't win more than seven games. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, man, I'm, I'm drinking all the Kool-Aid. I am 100% in on him. 45 17. I think that they it's probably 28 14 at half, and then Washington just lays the clamp on and they they can't do anything. I think they make the adjustments, and I think Washington just continues to outscore them, overwhelm them, and I think Michigan State's in for a really long year. That's a really big spread. You got there. I it's a bold move, Cotton. See if it works it out. <laughs> he won't be able to see very well. <laughs> <laughs> Getting ready for this next segment of games to watch this weekend. Nothing. If you have something else to do this weekend, you should probably go hang out with your family because there's a it's it's really hard to handicap these games because the spreads are so astronomical. Is there Virginia- any game? Is there any game in our conference? Oh my God. If there even is a spread, because we're playing so many schools outside of that. Trevor, all we do is win in this conference. We are the best conference in the country this year in the swan song of the Pac 12. So, conference of champions, darn right. And I mean, I'm just looking up and down right now. There's not a whole lot going on, even in the top 25. And be honest. Um, I will say, you know, Texas is hosting Wyoming. And they're that was 30- going to be mine. Oh, nice. Yeah. They're 30-point favorites. And if I've said it once, I've said it a million times. If I know Steve Sarkeesian, and I think I do, this might be a game that they won't cover and might be closer than expected. What say you, Tre- uh, Jake? Well, and to to kind of go on top of that Wyoming pick, they've – played two relatively decent teams, Texas Tech Mm -hmm. in Wyoming and beat Texas Tech in two overtime, I believe. That was a good Mm -hmm. game. Uh, Wyoming's been playing really well this year. So if if I'm going to the casino, I'm putting money on Wyoming to cover. Um, The other game is the closest game I could actually find is New Mexico, New Mexico State. Um, That's... Wow. That's kind of what in the we, bottom of the barrel, aren't we? That's all we have to choose from. Um, I know. I, I'm not. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. New Mexico is the center of the college football universe, huh? Yeah. I just there's not a lot going on, like you said. Uh, Kansas State is a four point favorite at Missouri. Yeah. So I'd say maybe that game would be my pick of the week. I'm only watching one game this weekend. That's it. I mean, that's what I'm, it sounds like, dude. Um. Where's game day going to be? I feel like I know where it's going to be next week, though. I do as well. Jake, I thank you for looking that up. Uh, while you guys do that, you guys missed the most important game of all, and it's North Carolina Central headed to the Rose Bowl to play UCLA and my Bruins. Wow. Now they're <laughs> your Bruins? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, the one that I'm, I guess, I'm not excited about anything outside of our game because I like watching my team play, but the the one game that I guess would be worth watching. And I'm wondering if this is where game day is just because of the teams that are in it is Georgia uh, hosting South Carolina. Just, and I know it's a 27 and a half point game, but 
mean, Spencer Rattler's in it, and he's somebody that people know. Yeah. But outside of that, not not a lot of <laughs> Tennessee, Florida. You want to you you want to know what game day is going to? Don't say Colorado, Colorado State. Colorado, Colorado State. Stop oh. it, really? They're going to see Prime. There's no way that it's in Eugene next week. Then there's no way yeah, they won't do it. That's Whoa. actually that's a huge missed opportunity because I would agree with those you. fans in Eugene are going to be so jacked for that game. It's going to be such an amazing environment for Prime to come in. And they're going to both be three and zero. What do you mean that they're not going to go to Oregon, Colorado next weekend? Because they're not they going to do Colorado two weeks in a row. Why do they do? If 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 Coach Prime and Shador come out here throwing the ball all over the football, and they have a top fifteen versus top fifteen seed next weekend with Coach Prime, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna keep going there. I That's I would it. I would respectfully disagree. I think that their their history of not doing that is real strong. So they have next week. They have the opportunity of UCLA Utah, which would be a top twenty-five matchup. Not yeah. oh, Ole Miss Alabama. That's where they'll be. I almost guarantee it. Yeah, they do love the SEC. Yeah, I, I bet you that's where. Oh, or that Ohio just... State Notre Dame. Yeah, oh. that's where they'll be. Actually, yeah, yeah. it'll be one it's of those. Two. It's Ohio a bummer. State, Notre Dame. Because that, I mean, honestly, like, and I'm not a duck apologist at all, but I just really feel like. Oregon, Colorado would be an amazing event. I really hope that they go back to Colorado when they host SC because that, if the, both teams are 4-0, Coach Prime being must-see TV, you've got to have him on at least twice this year, frankly. He's just a viewer magnet. And if they're not going to have him on two weeks in a row, which I don't think they will, they've got, they've got to earmark that one. I bet you they do. Especially, yeah. especially if they manage to pull it off in Eugene. Don't think that's going to happen, but I'm going to be rooting for it to happen. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they probably picked Colorado now because I honestly don't think that they have much faith in Colorado beating Oregon in week four. I agree. And then they've missed their opportunity in week five. Um, And they're not going to stray away from Ohio State, Notre Dame. The history there is unlike any other, you know, in college football for both programs. So they're going to. Oh, Irish. Yeah. 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 I mean, in a sure, pinch, right? Sure. In a pinch. Yeah, right. Not very often, but Trevor, did you see that that gif I sent to you of the Notre Dame uh, quarterback on the sideline? <laughs> yeah. Calling call plays into the, to the backup. <laughs> that that instantly me instantly made me like him. Yeah, that it was it was uh, it was in good taste. <laughs> I thought so. Um. So moving on. Everybody survived the survivor poll. The only one who got close to being out was Kayla and Leah. Utah had to make a little bit of a comeback to get there, but uh, everybody picked a winner. So everybody who's in it is still alive. We've already got, I've gotten a bunch of text messages and direct messages from people who are, who have their picks locked in. I think many of us are also going to have the same few programs. So far, it's been a consensus on on the messages that I've gotten. Who do you guys have, Leah? I got Stanford. Yeah, so do I. Yep, so do I. <laughs> Trying to get them out, knock yeah, them out. I, As of right I, now, a hundred percent of people have Stanford. <laughs> I, I think that's the only game you could go down Stanford list the rest of the season and feel comfortable picking that. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable picking Arizona State in any game. 
I also agree with that. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree with that. I do. You have less comfort picking Arizona State more than Stanford. Uh, this week, yeah. I mean, since ASU is playing Fresno, yeah, I have less confidence. True to form, Arizona State's going to be the one that the team that screws over the Huskies in our polls, if not on the football field. Yeah. Looking yeah. at Arizona State, they have a brutal schedule. Uh, <laughs> Fresno State this week, then they host USC, head to Cal, maybe circle that one, but, you know, mm. that might be a win for Cal as well. <laughs> then they host Colorado, have Washington come to town, go Mm-mm. to, or no, They're go to Washington, down. host Washington State, go to Utah and UCLA. And then finish the season out with Oregon and Arizona. Oh, they have Brutal. over under one and a half more wins on their schedule. Yep. Under. I still think Kenny Dillingham's the guy. I think so too. I think he's really positive and he's an ASU guy. And you always like to see guys who just love 100%. their institution and really do their best coaching for where they want to be. And um, you're seeing that with him. Uh, you're probably seeing that with a lot of guys. It's that that's their um, their alumni of the school. So good for him. Hope he gets more than that. Hope they start playing a little bit better. So at least I can feel comfortable picking them. But for now, not. Yeah. <laughs> at some point, you're going to have to. So I know. Yeah. At some uh, point, you're going to have you... to find a way to get Cal and Arizona State. And those are like, <laughs> that's like most of the teams that aren't ranked in the conference. The only yeah. other yep. one's Arizona. It- did you see the uh, the nation's like toughest schedules, the top ten toughest schedules remaining? It's mm-hmm. absolutely littered with Pac-12, and it's all because of the Pac-12 attrition. It's it's yeah. Oregon, it's Colorado, it's Washington, it's USC, and it's um, um, who else was there? Probably oh, Washington Utah. State. Yeah, and Utah. Yeah, and they all play it, each other. It, it, it's all packed. It's all packed. Twelve left in nation's toughest schedules because they're all ranked, and they all play each other. And the nation's like, ah, well, yeah. They're just well, I think do- like uh, teams like USC, Oregon, their t- schedule got tougher because Colorado's all of a sudden not a patsy. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think the reason that the Huskies are a little lower on that list that you're mentioning, Jake, is because we don't play Colorado. Yep. We do play well, at Oregon State at USC. Yeah. You know, we no, play still, the best teams in the conference. Fifth. But yeah, we're, but we're, we're our, still like fifth in the nation. But I don't think that most of those other teams that you're mentioning have like all of the bottom four on their schedule, which we do. Yeah. Which will probably be a huge benefit. And yeah. one of the season and over guys tweeted out that, you know, maybe it's time to start having a conversation that a two loss Pac 12 team has a legitimate argument to be in the playoff. You're hilarious. That's never going to think happen. so. No, Not I absolutely chair. don't I think the only, I, I think, the only league that would come from, from a, for a two loss team would be the SEC. SEC. But the SEC yeah. is not. I as totally good. agree with you. It doesn't matter. I think I, you're no, right. I, I, I understand. Matter. I understand that. But the reality is there could be a deserving two loss pack. I completely agree with you. And I, I also feel like the, the bias is strong on that coast and they don't really. Yeah, there, there's also been. Yeah. There's also been yeah. Heisman winners that have come that absolutely should have been from the West Coast, but they didn't get it because they're not on the East Coast. 
there it's going to be the same thing that happens i think the only the only pac-12 team that's made the college football playoff that had any kind of uncertainty was washington and and they 100 percent deserve to be there yes ah, so you know so it's i don't know i i i I agree with Leah. I, I don't think that there's any way that you look at a Pac-12 team with two losses and say that they deserve it. Well, you can say that they deserve to be in there, but East Coast isn't going to say that. They will have no apologies for that. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree with you guys, but I want to have like that. Five, I, want, I want that to be out there. There's only like five teams in the nation that could win, like lose two games, and they would do that for. It'd be Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, maybe – um Georgia. Georgia. Well, can, honestly, if Georgia loses two games with their schedule, they should be unranked because there's only two quality games on their schedule. Which is indicative of most SEC, SEC teams. Agreed. Mm-hmm. If the SEC had to consistently play the schedule that USC, Washington, Oregon, Utah have to play this year, then fine. But they don't usually they usually have three really tough games on their schedule and everything else is a cakewalk. And yeah. they only play eight conference games. Yep. So they play like this was a con- Sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. The, this was a conversation that me and Trevor had when Larry Scott was still commissioner. The SEC has always done very good at protecting its upper echelon teams. It's Alabama's, yep. it's Georgia's, it's LSU's. They don't stack them with back-to-back hard games. They give them extremely good buys, and then they give them a cupcake late in the season for an opportunity to practice for the SEC championship. Right. Knowing that they can then go on to play national championships, where Larry Scott in the Pac-12 has constantly put booked Oregon playing Washington and then USC with a buy in week three where that doesn't help Oregon or, or, or let's say it's our case, right. Where Washington has, you know, a, a untimely buy followed by four top 15 teams in a row, or, you know, maybe playing the gauntlet of our November schedule this year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, right now, even the Northwest swing looks like it's impossible. So the PAC 12 just doesn't, it doesn't protect its upper echelon teams. It's kind of a war of attrition with us. Yeah, and we'll see if the commissioner in the Big Ten is going to protect um, the West Coast swing that we can call ourselves, the remnants of the Pac-12, uh, the LAs and the Northwest kids, because I, I, I don't think they will at least to start until we start performing. But as soon as we perform, I kind of feel like they're going to have to, along with Ohio State and Michigan and sometimes Wisconsin, they're going to have to see what they can do. I don't think all Again, four of us are consistently going the good Washington at it. State of the Big Ten. Oh, well, they were just ranked. Oopsies. Not, not Penn the, State, maybe. I meant to say Penn State. Again. Sorry. Yeah, the problem is, is uh, I think the Big Ten holds a higher regard for Oregon and USC than it does for Washington. So mm-hmm. if they're going to protect any Western school, it's going to be USC. That I agree with. I think that USC is probably going to get the most darling treatment. And, they always do. Yeah. And I, and I see a situation where I don't I don't know how they're going to do it. I'm really curious to see when that comes out the the schedule at least the the 2024 schedule what that's going to look like how they're going to divvy up the travel how they're going to get you know 
teams out here. You can't, I was thinking basketball where like Washington, Oregon's easy, right? You get on a 45 minute plane and, and you play that in a week. Right. But basketball football is just different. So mm. it could be totally randomized. Uh, you could bet that no games at Husky stadium next year are probably going to be anything earlier than four. That'd be my guess. You don't so, think you'd ever give them a big noon? Maybe. But why wouldn't you hold it? Because you just, you just, the thing is, is the four group, four teams you brought in on this side of the way, on, on the, in the nation, three of them have been very good as of late and deserve that big noon, that 1230 kick. But now you can do Michigan in that time zone at that time. And then you can have the marquee game later mm. over here. It's all TV. Yeah. I, I don't see a lot of 1230 major network TV games on the West coast. I think that, you know, when you're playing Rutgers or Iowa or Minnesota, you could have a 1230 kick on the big 12, big 10 network. But I think marquee games at 1230 are probably going to be a thing in the past. We don't need to keep getting into it, but I'm, I'm intrigued to see how conference, you know, alignment goes as far as divisions and stuff like that. So I, I think it's an, it's an exciting topic. So I mean, if if, if you're fourth and inches fan, I would continue to expect to hear that, you know, it's it's going to happen over and over and over. If you you like what you hear, click subscribe, follow (laughs) us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah keep keep sharing we're, we're growing oh actually guys thank you all who listen we're growing at a really good rate right now we're seeing number consistent numbers just continue to we rise just past joe rogan yeah <laughs> not wow. the joe rogan you're thinking of a different one <laughs> joseph rogan yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a mindfulness podcast um but it is exciting right like we're going into a whole new a whole new world next year, right? Where it's sad that the teams that we usually cover aren't going to be the teams that we cover all the time anymore. Mm-hmm. But what an exciting time where we get to like play games in the Midwest, have those Midwestern teams that you usually only see around bowl season. That's going to feel like a treat for probably what? a decade for us who have been watching college football for 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, bowl games all the time also just feel legitimized with the way the kind of football that we play and now that we're going to be in a big conference that's both athletically and academically strong we're going to be able to have a name for ourselves because we're going to be playing a lot of big teams that folks nationally respect and if we beat them then hopefully by the transitive property we will be respected too well, I'm excited. I, the dress rehearsal for Michigan State getting into this conference is going to be fun. I think it's going to be a blowout. These two are cowards. So for Trevor <laughs> Mueller, UW Leah, Jake Grant, go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs. Thanks, Sparty.